bend light. He hunts by seeing our heat. If it bleeds, we can kill it. Now Playing presents the Predator Retrospective Series. I've waited a lifetime for this, and I'm not going to miss the chance. Join Stuart, Arnie, and Brock as they review all the Predator and Aliens vs. Predator films. What do you need us for? Because some damn fool accused you of being the best. These podcasts will be spoiler-filled and may contain objectionable language. Listener discretion is advised. Come on. Do it. Do it! talking about The Predator, starring Boyd Holbrook, Travante Rhodes, Jacob Tremblay, Keegan-Michael Key, Olivia Munn, Thomas Jane, Alfie Allen, Sterling K. Brown, and directed by Shane Black. This is the podcaster who, like a video game, is rated E for everyone. This is Brock. Fuck me in the face with an art mark. It's Stuart. <laughs> fuck, 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 fuck. This is Arnie, co-host of Now Playing, who, eat your pussy. Excuse me. <laughs> This is the now playing co-host who sure is pushy. And Brock, you beautiful motherfucker, welcome back. Fuck you, I never left. (laughs) I'm glad to be here, guys. We're here talking eight years later for the Predator series. I think you forgot something, though. In the cast you read, you missed two important names. Did I now? Yeah, you missed Javier LaCroix and Lachlan Monroe. My apologies to their families and to them personally. I did not mean to exclude these. Who are these nice people you mentioned? Well, Lachlan Monroe, Dead Man on Campus, Freddy vs. Jason, White Chicks. Crickets. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> the guy from Dead Man on Campus. I want to fuck I this I don't couch. know what that is. I want to. <laughs> it's a movie with Zach Morris, apparently. It's important to Arnie. Well, remember Freddy versus Jason, the cop who helped them at the insane asylum? Lachlan Monroe... I don't know why he literally has a one-line role here. I think it's just called a job, but I... I mean, Lachlan Monroe! So, let me get this straight. Last time, maybe, Matt, we were asked by Stuart why you and I care so much about Danny Trejo, and you're trying to make Lachlan Monroe into today's Danny Trejo, and I'm sorry, my friend, it's just not gonna fly. (laughs) And then Javier LaCroix... He's a friend of mine, okay? What can I say? Uh I know this guy, I've known him for, like, 12 years. Well, hello, Mr. LaCroix, and I have to tell you, I love your sparkling water. It's delicious. (laughs) He's the uh, bartender in Mexico. Ah. Oh. I see. So I felt like Javier, since I've known him for so long and hung out with him in San Diego, he deserved an up-top mention. Perhaps that could have been told to me in the pre-show meeting. in the cast list. Imagine just watching a movie and then seeing a guy you know pop up on the IMAX screen and you didn't know he was in the movie. It has happened to me many times, but I'm glad you experienced that. It's always fun. But yes, you mentioned eight years since Predators. It didn't do very well, right? I mean, it just was disappointing and nobody was rushing to go into where Nimrod had left us. That show is hysterical. We were all like, Green Arrow, it's so mediocre. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yes. I went back and I rewatched all three Predator films. Notice I didn't say all five. AVP and AVP Requiem can just stay away. But I did rewatch the awesome Predator, the hysterically bad Predator 2. I mean, that thing's edging brown arrow territory here. I don't think he gives a shit. We didn't have the brown arrow when we did Predator 2, but I might have given it that. And then Predators is still completely acceptable diversion. It's not yeah. great. It's not memorable. It's, uh, all I really remembered from it was Topher Grace is a serial killer. I remember Larry Fishburne. I did not rewatch it, but I did listen to our show, and it all came flooding back to me. I did watch the original 1987 classic Predator again and had a great time rewatching it before I saw this one because I had a few feeling they're going to be, with Shane Black directing, there's going to be some callbacks to that original Predator, and they're probably going to ignore the rest of the other stuff, more or less. At least we can hope. <laughs> yes, exactly right. But I would think, Arnie, given that we've reviewed over these years since we've done Predator, some of these direct-to-Netflix movies, like the Chucky movies, that the Predators, that did well enough and was okay enough that you would think a direct-to-Netflix movie would have been warranted, or a direct-to-video of some sort. But they just waited on it until they had a theatrical release, which, yeah, they could have done something in between. Poor Predator. He just peaked too soon, right? And I think part of the problem, I went back to the original as well, and something that first film has that the sequels, all of them, don't have is a leading man. The problem, I believe, the reason why none of the other sequels stick is because you're watching Arnold the whole time in the original movie. That alien is barely in it. He's cloaked for half of it. We never get to learn really his motivation. And so it all rides on having Arnold. And when Arnold stepped away and said, I'm not doing Predator 2, it just became a series of disappointments, really, from Danny Glover to the alien to Adrian Brody. They all just were not good companions to the Predator. Honestly, of all of the franchises that I think roll off people's tongues, Predator is there. But really, he's had one good film. If you look at any franchise, there's at least two or three that people hold up and are like, I like that one. I like that one. Now, I did go online just today. I saw somebody had posted an article. I won't credit or call out this site because I don't even remember which one it was. But it was all the Predator films ranked. And strangely, Requiem was not at the bottom of the list. And Predator 2 was at the top of his list. So somebody out there likes Predator 2. <laughs> There's always one of those. But come on, that's not a consensus by most people. I think I read that. That was on Danny Glover's homepage, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really the most mediocre to crap franchise of most of the franchises we've done. I think only Children of the Corn has a worse batting average. I don't think it is a franchise. What I would argue is that they've tried to stick it in every time and it's been franchise interruptus. You just haven't had another installment that ever mattered. It never stuck with anyone. No one even remembers the other films. It's just Arnold and the original. I remember when I saw this trailer in theaters, the guy sitting in front of me goes, oh, they're remaking Arnold's movie. Arnold's movie. That's my point. It's not about the alien. They tried to make it so. The one thing I do find kind of interesting, though, is ever since we started our retrospective series format. This is the oldest franchise that we've picked up. This has been eight years between segments. We started the retrospective format in 09, and we haven't had another Friday the 13th. We haven't had another Halloween just yet. We're getting there. Mm, very close. Well, speaking of which, I think the reason why we're getting this now, and instead of a TV series, you know, 
that seems to be the trend is to reboot it as a serialized drama, but it's the 30th anniversary, right? We get nostalgic when we hit those tens. It's been 30 years since the first Predator is actually 31. They missed their air window, but 31 years since the original Predator. So let's go back and take a loving look and try to take something from it. I got to ask, why not bring back Arnold? Wouldn't that mean a lot more? They're doing it with Jamie Lee Curtis in this Halloween. Wouldn't it mean so much more if they got Arnold, who isn't hard to get these days? He shows up on direct-to-home viewing fair. They could have waited and brought that character back and had a true rematch. He said no. I was convinced he was coming back at the end of the movie. That's what they wanted, is for him to come back at the end, but they wanted to set up new characters. I have researched the hell out of this movie. I actually went in empty. I knew nothing except the trailers, but I was excited. I'm the Predator fan here, and it's really rough to be a Predator fan beyond that first movie. Yeah, I mean, you saw the trailers, which one? Because I couldn't make heads or tails of what they were doing here. If you look at the poster, it looks like a comic book. They got all these human skulls that form the Predator face. I'm thinking, wow, this is going to be weird and violent. Then the first trailer was like a kiddie film. It was like Explorers or something. Oh, here's a child that's going to befriend, like E.T., this crab from space. And then the latest stuff has all been dude bra comedy, where it's just like a bunch of pussy jokes. Yeah, I was really worried with the kiddie one, because this director is Shane Black. Now, I really, really like Shane Black as a director. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is one of my all-time favorite films and is in our book, Underrated Movies, I strongly recommend. And then he basically created a pseudo-sequel, or at least a spiritual sequel, with The Nice Guys. Just another really good movie. Then we get to his franchise work, Iron Man 3. I've warmed up to it since our initial review, but man, that is a flawed film. And then here... So I was rooting for this film from Shane Black, but I also know Shane Black has some crutches, and one of them lately has been inserting a very young child into it, be it the little kid in Tennessee in Iron Man 3 or the little kid in The Nice Guys. There seemed to be a preponderance of that. I was afraid it might be a boy and his predator. I think he's always done that. I think he relates to being adolescent. Like, he is a boy, you know? Like, all his films have someone that's... It's incredibly immature. Last Action Hero, he wrote that one. That had a kid dragging Arnold around saying, it's just a movie. I think that is the position he has always thought of. It's not something that he came to late in life. I think it might also be something about, like, he wants us to channel the kid in all of us in his movies and get you know take it with a grain of salt that, you know, we're not going to get too serious here, but we're all going to have some serious stuff. That's how I always think when you have a kid involved, they want you to see it through their eyes to some extent. I don't really see this in Shane Black, though, until we get to The Last Boy Scout. He did it there. That seems to be the first time. When you look at the movie that made Shane Black a name, Lethal Weapon, no kids in that. Oh, I was going to say Monster Squad, Uh. and they did that there. (laughs) Yes, you mentioned Monster Squad. Well, let's look at the writer of this film. I remember talking about this back in 2016. We reviewed the movie Night of the Creeps, directed by Fred Decker. very close friend of Shane Black. They came up together. Shane Black helped with Night of the Creeps, and then they went on to do Monster Squad together. Fred Decker was the writer of this. Now, I got a chance 
chance to talk to him right when filming began on this. He was telling me how great it was. He obviously wouldn't spoil anything, but he said, oh, it's going to be great. You're going to love it. Shane's really taking it to new places. He is. Yeah, he did. I'll be honest. People say, when are you reviewing the Monster Squad? Brock, do you like the Monster Squad? Are you going to kick me in the nards if I say no? No, I just have yet to find anyone on Now Playing who says yes. I've never seen it. Don't watch it. It's not good. I watched it when I was a kid and I didn't like it. It's just not worthy of a watch. But, you know, I might watch it soon. I have two younger kids who might enjoy that thing at some level. Why would you do that to them? Now, (laughs) I watched it in theaters and walked out going, yeah. And then because so many now playing listeners were like, when are you reviewing it? When are you reviewing it? I actually revisited it just a couple years ago. They came out with like a special edition double disc Blu-ray set. And I'm like, all right, I'll Netflix that disc. I will watch this movie. Oh my God, no. So unless you want me to just have a shites of video on your childhood memories of Wolfman's Got Nards. Now playing is not reviewing the Monster Squad. And to me, Fred Decker's kind of, I think, a one-hit wonder with Night of the Creeps. I mean, let's look at his uh, writing credits. And we reviewed him. He did Robocop 3. That's where I was starting. Yeah. We also discussed him because he came up with the story for House. Yeah, he worked on the first two. He did the story for a movie I kind of like, but I haven't seen since the 90s. Denzel's Ricochet. Well, that's okay. Yeah, I don't remember liking it. It's not great, but it's not, it's not bad. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not RoboCop 3. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's done a couple of Tales from the Crypts, a couple of Star Trek Enterprise episodes, and... After a 25-year ban from theatrical work because of RoboCop 3, he is back with The Predator. Yeah, well, keep in mind, Shane Black was on ice for a while there, too. It took Robert Downey Jr. using his clout to bring his friend into the Iron Man franchise. I feel like they were old frat brothers, and it was a party every night in Hollywood when they were king. And then, yeah, what's fun in your teenage years, it doesn't look so good in midlife and they had to go away they had to get sober they had to reinvent themselves i just feel like fred decker is the arsenio hall to shane black's eddie murphy (laughs) well actually i think shane black is one of those guys that every time we hear his name mentioned because there's so much goodwill for him because of things we have liked in the past that we always want to give him a chance and with rare exception of late i don't really find his stuff worthy of the aplomb of who shane black was so yes he has actually had some wonderful things and i can certainly want to watch those other things again, but all the new stuff I keep seeing of his has not impressed me as much as what you're saying. You didn't like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang? You didn't like The Nice Guys? I like The Nice Guys very, very much. The Kiss Kiss Bang Bang I have to rewatch, but my first time I watched it, I was sort of drunk. So I don't really remember it very well. Okay, so the two great films he directed, you liked one and can't speak to the other. Correct. But Iron Man 3, I did share your viewpoints on that. It's enjoyable in parts, it's easy to watch, but there are certainly problems with it, etc, etc. So I'm thinking that Shane Black, I have great feelings for based on his body of work, but to be honest with you, I forgot he did The Nice Guys. Completely forgot. I really liked that movie, but I completely forgot it was his. And yet it's the only reason I saw it in theaters is because it was his. You think I'm going to get out there for Ryan Gosling? Well, Ryan Gosling's worth seeing, usually, but Shane Black, I'll just put it this way. I do feel like there's atonement, and these ones you're talking about, his best work, it's because he's lived through hell, and he can tell the tale. That's what usually makes his films interesting. Both Nice Guys and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang or as much about Hollywood as they are about middle-aged men who are still immature and need to grow up. And I just think that that's a Malou he knows. So that's kind of what I'm expecting him to bring to the Predator. When I see these trailers that has a bus full of army vets
vets that have mental problems. I'm thinking that's the movie he wants to make. Also, though, come on. Shane Black was in the original Predator. So him being here, we're all having some sort of an expectation because of who he was and his presence in the first movie. Yeah, definitely. You forget he didn't write the original because he was known more as a screenwriter than an actor. I don't even know why he was in the film, I guess for the pussy jokes. But yeah, the fact that he gets to come back and steer this franchise, I guess that's some kind of nostalgia. It's not Arnold, but it's at least something coming back. What's really funny is how different he looks today than he did back then. Like, unrecognizable. I watched some interviews with him discussing this movie, and the entire face shape is different, the voice is different. I would not have known that it was the same guy. But it was fun having him there. He was the talky one, and I always wondered if he did help make that movie a little better, being such a sharp writer on set, and the only one who didn't spend all his time in the gym, possibly. The illegal chemicals he used were not steroids. But yeah, I'm excited to see him come back to something that's probably very important to him. I mean, a very early role of his and something that helped form his film identity. I was really excited that he was coming back to do this. And yet I knew this movie was in trouble. Again, this movie, I think it was supposed to come out a year before. It was stopped. Production halted a couple times. Rewriting. I heard from some people that worked on the set at Fox that things weren't going well. Not always the sign of a bad film, but at least a film that was under stress. And Fox has a reputation at this point of taking people with creative visions and forcing them to make compromises that aren't for the better of the project. Yeah, but Fox has not really done The Predator right. And I did like this movie starts with a 20th century Fox logo, and it is like, well, this is the last. <laughs> the next one, if it has that logo, it's merely for nostalgia reasons, but I didn't know any of that. I couldn't even remember the fact that this movie was supposed to come out early this year. Yeah. And it had some major reshoots. It had a test screening that was disastrous. And what I also was completely unaware of is that the original script leaked back in 2016. And I finally got my hands on that script that Fox's lawyers have been trying to eradicate from the internet. And I can tell you what the movie was Mm. and now what the movie is. Ooh. I definitely can see that there are moments missing. And I do know part of why there is some jumping around here is because they cut a actor out that Me Too came at this movie because one of the actors was what? A sexual predator? All right, I can give you all the story. Shane Black, Fred Decker isn't his only friend. He has a friend named Stephen Wilder Striegel. And Stephen has been having some legal troubles in the past. He is a convicted sex offender for writing explicit emails to his underage niece about how badly he wants to fuck her, but he won't fuck her because she's his underage niece. And the, I guess, brother-in-law or brother saw these emails, gave them to the cops, and Stephen did time. He pleaded guilty to trying to lure the 14-year-old girl into a sexual relationship. Okay, so he's probably on to catch a predator, but he ain't gonna be in The Predator. No, and he was in Iron Man 3, although I cannot figure out where. He was apparently in The Nice Guys, and he was here. Now, I 
found out where that scene was and everything. It was part of Olivia Munn's introduction. I had read the only main character he interacted with was Olivia Munn, and it was Olivia Munn who somehow found out he was a convicted sex predator, went to Fox and the media, and Fox cut the scene out. We lose nothing, except later in the movie, there's one moment where she says, I wish people would stop calling me Sunshine. And it had only happened once. Yeah, it happened once again. But they cut that scene. I mean, we're talking two weeks before the movie came out. So. Oh, see, I thought he was the star because this movie is incredibly jerky, like really wildly thrown together, edited and re-edited. I had to see this film twice because I knew I needed to be able to talk coherently about why things happen in it. And I also had to be sure what I thought. I was like, there are things about this that make it the best Predator movie ever. And then there are things that I just don't think fly. So I needed to see it twice. I went Friday. I IMAX, 15 people, (laughs) nobody there. And then I went back Monday for a matinee and there was one guy there. So both times I didn't get much sense of a crowd reaction, but I have seen the film twice. I also saw it twice. I went Thursday opening night to the very first IMAX showing and it was, I'd say about half full. The one thing I found interesting, everyone looked of age to have seen Predator in theaters in the 80s. No new people were there. Right. Now, I did see it again, not necessarily because I needed to confirm my ranking at the end of this show, although it did help. But you said there were things in the movie you didn't understand. There were things in the movie I didn't understand called the dialogue. I shit you not, today I went to the movie and I went up to the person. I said, can I have one of your closed captioning boxes? And I put this in and it was this long, like, you know, those lamps that have the bendy necks. Mm -hmm. So it goes in your cup holder with a bendy neck and I could read the movie because honestly, I... I walked out the first time thinking there was a homosexual relationship between Keegan-Michael Key and Thomas Jane because there's some scene and all I got out of it was, isn't that romantic? And I'm like, wait, what are you saying? You're mumbling everything. I can't hear you. So if it was a Blu-ray, I'd have just turned on closed captioning. So I did it in the theater, read the movie. Nope, no gay relationships. Okay, I had no problem understanding the dialogue. I thought I understood the plot pretty well. My biggest problem was the amazing movie movie logic that was happening, but we can talk about that as we go later. But I did have the same experience you did, Arnie, is that everyone in my theater was of age, but no one seemed to get the references to the original Predator. I'm the only one laughing, or I don't know, I guess laughing might be a polite term. <laughs> only one reacting to certain references to the original movie. Oh, I couldn't understand them. I mean, when I'm reading You Beautiful Motherfucker, I'm like, wow, you! I didn't catch that line last time. I guffawed. The other thing I want to mention is when I went the second time, I thought I was going to be completely alone in the screening. I mean, it was me, eventually a couple and another single guy. Again, all of whom could have seen Predator in 87 were there. This movie, we'll talk about the box office, but it didn't blow anyone away. You know what? We keep dancing around this thing. Let's get to it. Arnie, what about a plot summary? There's a bit of a disagreement in Predator society. See, we learn in this movie that Predators aren't really a pure species, and they don't just hunt so they can have human heads in their living rooms. No, they hunt the strongest of each species across the galaxy and rip out their spines so that they can have the spinal fluid to take the DNA. They then merge that DNA with their own species and try to force evolution to make them stronger and faster. And speaking of fast, they're working fast to hunt us humans because we aren't going to be around much longer. (laughs) 
global warming will wipe us out in one to two generations. So the predators come here quite a bit to get our DNA before we perish. But one rogue predator doesn't agree with his species hunting humans, so he's rebelled. He stole a ship and a weapon that humans can use to fight the predators. Not help global warming, I guess we're just fucked on that. But we can fight predators that come here until we die two generations from now. But he's attacked and followed to Earth by, uh, Predator Cop? Some kind of law enforcement predator? <laughs> he has predator dogs with him, and he's reporting back to Predator High Command or something. Well, on Earth, the rogue predator ship crashes in Mexico, a crash witnessed by U.S. Army sniper Quinn McKenna, played by Boyd Holbrook. The pilot escaped the crash, and now on Earth, the predator who came to help us fight predators starts killing every human he gets around. Quinn finds the predator's helmet and arm piece, and the arm piece helps him wound the predator, so McKenna takes the armor as evidence of an alien encounter and escapes. He goes to a Mexican town where Javier LaCroix plays a bartender who mails the armor to McKenna's P.O. box. But into the area come the Men in Black, led by Sterling K. Brown's character Traeger. He knows about the Predators and their history. He has McKenna caught and interrogated, and when McKenna lets something slip about aliens, he's put on a bus to go to an insane asylum along with five other crazy ex-military members. Nebraska Williams, played by Trevante Rhodes, is in lockup for shooting himself in the head, then walking to the hospital for medical help. Coyle, played by Keegan-Michael Key, is in lockup for shooting and killing his squad. Then we have Nettles, a pilot who's locked up for reasons. I think maybe he's being persecuted for being Christian. We have Lynch, played by Alfie Allen. You gotta explain this one to me. He's an explosives expert and a close-up magic expert, and he has an obsession with entropy. And he's Irish. Don't know why he's in America. And finally, Baxley, played by Thomas Jane, who I really didn't recognize for like half of the first time I watched this movie. I didn't know it was him until the credits. I swear to God, I'm looking at the oh, that's Thomas Jane. Oh my God. And he seems to be locked up because he has Tourette's. I want to say that I stand corrected on this closed caption thing because I caught none of these names but Nebraska. I was, <laughs> I, in my notes, it's Olivia Munn. It's a Theon Greyjoy. It's all these different names for these people. So I had no idea what anyone's name was, including the lead. I still don't know the guy's name. And I didn't catch the CIA guy, the guy from This Is Us. I had no idea what his character's name was. Thank you for telling me this. Oh, that's okay. In my notes, I have Sniper, Moon, yeah. because I was misspelling Mun, so it's Moon with two U's, <laughs> The Kid, and then I actually kept calling Key Peel. So... <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, wow, he made Get Out and then went to do this silly shit? It took an hour into the movie, and I had an epiphany. Oh, it's the kid from Room. No idea. I had no idea until it happened. Anyway, keep going with your summary. Sorry. And yeah, I had Irish guy, and then finally I had Thomas Jane. But... Okay. Meanwhile, all this is playing out, Traeger calls evolutionary biologist Dr. Casey Brackett, played by Olivia Munn, because the predator is revealed to have human DNA, and that's when the humans learn what I said earlier about the predators and DNA. Brackett says she needs to talk to McKenna for biology reasons? I, I don't know how that's going to help her DNA analysis. So the bus taking the loonies to the mental ward turns around and instead goes to Project Stargazer in Atlanta. And by the way, I call them the loonies. That's what the script calls them. That's what they call themselves. I am not disparaging those with mental health issues. But then the Predator, who I want to say again, came here to help us fight Predators, wakes up and kills everyone in the lab and it wants its toys back. <laughs> 
Most people die, but Traeger gets the hell out, and Brackett, the biologist college professor, grabs a gun and starts to hunt the fleeing predator. Witnessing this from outside, Nebraska and McKenna get the group to help them subdue the guards and hijack the bus to give chase and try to kill the predator. But the predator does escape, and Traeger orders Brackett killed, so the loonies team up and save her, and they get on the run from Traeger's homicidal men. Now let's meet McKenna's son Rory and McKenna's ex-wife Emily because this plot isn't crowded enough. Emily is played by Yvonne Strahovski though. Rory has Asperger's syndrome and is incredibly smart. Because McKenna's P.O. box was closed for lack of payment, the box he sent with the Predator weapons went to Rory's house and the boys started playing with them. This alerts the policeman Predator who's called Upgrade in the script. He's 11 foot tall because he merged with different DNA and now he knows where the rogue Predator's gear has gone. So the two Predators race to get to Rory, as do McKenna and his new friends. They all arrive in Tennessee about the same time where Rory lives, and the rogue predator captures Rory and is about to kill him to get the gear back when the upgrade is fully revealed and kills the vanilla predator. McKenna and the men with Rory and Brackett run but are captured by Traeger's men. Traeger finds out from Rory where the ship is and convinces the kids he uses super brain to open the hatch. But upgrade is there too on the hunt for the weapon Rogue brought to the planet. Then McKenna escapes from Traeger's men, and with the help from the loonies, they steal a news chopper and go to Florida to save Rory. So we get all three factions to this ship in Florida, and Upgrade gets on the ship first and says in English, through a translator bot, there's only one true warrior in the group, McKenna, and he will capture McKenna and kill the rest. So Traeger and McKenna's group put aside their differences and try to fight the upgrade, but the upgrade kills most of them one by one. Then he gets to McKenna, but it's Rory McKenna who is the warrior because autism is the next step of human evolution. So Rory is the most evolved there. Upgrade throws Rory in a cell and takes off in the ship to go back to Predator World, but McKenna and Nebraska jump on the flying ship. Nebraska sacrifices himself to blow up the Predator's engine, making it crash. Then McKenna and Upgrade fight Mono a Predator, and with the help from a sucker punch from Brackett, Upgrade is killed. We then jump shortly into the future and back to Project Stargazer, where McKenna is now a captain and one of the leads of the project. Rory is like their chief scientist. He's the Wesley Crusher of the crew. A child <laughs> is literally running it. And they found the weapon the vanilla Predator brought to humanity, an Iron Man-like suit of armor armor that looks like a poorly rendered CGI robo-predator. And McKenna says, that's his new suit. As credits roll. Long credits with no scene after, I do want to add. Well, you know, like the opening of the first movie, you can almost forget that this starts in space. It didn't occur to me until the second viewing of this movie that we see the Predator is being chased by a different spaceship. This didn't occur to you on the first viewing? That's my whole opening is like, wow, a big ship's chasing a small ship and there's a Predator on each ship. And I'm wondering like, what? We don't know that. You see the pilot's from the back. We only see Little P. I call him Little P in Big Pun. <laughs> Maybe it's the trailers, because we saw, the script calls him Upgrade, so we saw Upgrade in the trailer, so maybe that's how I knew it was Predator on Predator Violence. And we see they can't travel faster than light, but they can somehow tear holes in space. That's how they get from Predator World to Earth. Well, they don't. Little P does. Big Pun is left behind. That's what I'm saying. It's like a boop, boop, boop. We're in a Star Wars movie, and then he jumps through a space rift and hits a satellite orbiting Earth, and that's why he crashes. Otherwise, he would have
would have landed and been able to do whatever he planned to do to help humanity. I presume he would have gone straight to Washington, D.C. and said, hey, everybody, I got a suit that will help you fight the aliens that are just like me that are coming to kill you. His ship took a lot of fire. I thought he hit the satellite because he was already out of control and crashed because the bigger ship had hit him because it is very Star Wars. I mean, it's a giant ship shooting a little ship. It's doing that whole thing. I thought he was just out of control for that. And I should add this entire thing about the suit of armor and the weapon he's bringing us and all that added in reshoots. This was not his original mission. Oh, well, that makes more sense because, you know, after this movie was over, that was just plaguing me. I'm like, I don't understand. This doesn't look like a predator that has come in peace. Like the way he starts skinning people and all that, it just is not a peaceful predator. And yet, in the original thing, he still has come to help us, and yet he just still skins us. And they even address it in the original script. They're like, well, yeah, he's come to help us, but that doesn't make him a nice guy. That's literally what it says. But in this opening scene, they linger on that little capsule thing that we're supposed to forget about, I guess, till later in the movie. But I had, like, why they keep lingering on this? It looks like a door or a capsule, whatever. The other thing that really stuck out to me in this opening scene, and I too did not get it, was Predator on Predator Chase, was they wasted no time showing us the predator in this one if you recall in the original predator we didn't even see it very much they immediately show us a predator the mystery behind the character is completely gone we're seeing him just as a human character almost but he's as a predator i was really unimpressed by how unspecial he was and i got that immediately from this first scene i was confused i immediately after the first showing went to the internet to try and make sense of what was going on i found out that fox had done it again they are the worst offenders when it comes to writing prequel novels Remember they did that with the last Independence Day, some of those Planet of the Apes movies. We've had to go and read prequels that happened before the film. That Independence Day prequel novel is still burned into my memory as one of the worst reading experiences of my life. I mean, I remember where I was. I remember reading it. And when you mentioned by email that there was a prequel novel, which I did not know, I had PTSD. So was it nearly as bad as that fucking shitty Independence Day novel. I didn't read that because I don't even like Independence Day, the first one. I wasn't going to read that. But I did feel like here's a case where we actually did need some backstory. If this alien has been here and befriended us and made a turn and wants to come and help and give us any kind of weapon against his own people, that is a story worth telling. And so I bought the Predator Hunters and Hunted prequel novel and that's not what it's about at all. I'll tell you what it's the prequel for when I was very disappointed to find out that this gaping hole is never closed. There's nothing ever explained as to why this guy has come to help. Well, it was explained in the original script. They reshot the entire third half hour of the film. I believe it. Yeah, I mean, this movie feels like it's been shook up in a bag. I'll tell you what the plot is when we get there. But yeah, I was wondering if the prequel novel was about the stuff that was completely removed from the movie because there's huge plot points removed from the movie. I couldn't imagine a prequel novel not being about that. No, I would have thought that that was the backstory that most needed to be explained here. Instead, we're going to be introduced to our hero, Army Sniper Quinn McKenna. Yet another example. They never like to explain why their heroes are in the jungle, do they? They're just there. It's something about a drug cartel and some kidnap people. It never will matter who he's working for. I don't think they get rescued. No, in the original script, 
Traeger and his men kill both the hostages and the drug lords to cover up the Predator, but that never made it to the final film because I was wondering what the hell happened to those people too. But we never really understood what Schwarzenegger's duplicity about him having come to stop communists in Nicaragua. I mean, whatever, you know, it doesn't matter. The real question is, what do you guys think of Boyd Holbrook? You know, I liked him in Logan. I thought he was a good villain in Logan. I agree. I liked him in Logan and I couldn't figure out where I seen him before until about halfway through the movie. I'm like, oh, that's the guy from Logan. I liked him mostly, but to your point earlier, Stuart, about this series is lacking a leading man, for the first, I'd say, half of the movie, I thought he was holding the movie together pretty well. But once I get to the group of the guys in the bus, he kind of takes a back seat to he's the leader of the group, but he's the leader of the dream team. You know what I mean? Like, it's, and I don't mean the dream team, the basketball players. I mean, no, I know. Ex- I was thinking Michael Keaton, too. Yeah, Michael Keaton. So he loses his leading man status pretty much, and he tries to regain it at the end. So I liked what he was bringing in the first half of the movie. I just thought he got benched in the second half. And I don't like him in either half of the movie. I think (laughs) this movie has some real casting choice problems and he is the biggest because he's the lead. I think he is a perfectly fine actor to convince me that he is a military sniper. I think he plays that role well. I think he provides a very realistic version of U.S. military, but there's nothing about this guy that I like other than support our troops. He is merely there. He would be great as the secondary or tertiary character where we need to believe this guy's a sniper, but there's no charisma there. There was nothing that made me say, I want to watch this guy win. I'm going to argue he is the best leading man of the entire series. He is easily better actor than Arnold, more comfortable in his role than Danny Glover. We're not talking about AVP and Agent Brody even. I feel like he is the most compelling character, but the problem is there's something about star power. Like, you know you when you see a star on screen, they just command you to look at him. And this guy, I get confused with other actors. Like, he looks like the guy from Tron Legacy. He looks like Taylor Kitsch. Gambit from the Wolverine movie, Charlie Hunnam from Pacific Rim. There's all these blonde guys that are interchangeable and none of them have the gravitas of a Heath Ledger. I just feel like they all want to be Heath Ledger. And because they don't have that star wattage, they just can't hold the film. He's really good, but the character's not particularly well written. And yeah, ultimately the movie gets bored with him and moves on. I just don't think even in the beginning he was interesting. The one who I love in this movie, the one who... I wish was the star, Sterling K. Brown. That guy, when he walks onto the screen, owns the screen. He's smiling. I'm smiling. I really only know him from Black Panther and the people versus O.J. Simpson, but he's a face that was very familiar. He's chewing up the scenery and he's chewing gum all at once. This is a Fox casting call. Anyone that's ever worked on a Fox project gets shuffled in here. He is the star or one of them of This Is Us, which is made by Fox. And he won an Emmy for it. He's an up-and-coming big name, even though he's done very well for himself. When I say up and coming, like he is going to be someone who comes back. I'm sure we're going to see more of him in the future. Not in more Predator movies, I would guess. <laughs> Not in more Predator movies, but I do agree that when he was on the screen, he just emanated confidence and things, but I had trouble liking him as well, not because of his charisma, not because of the attitude. I loved how he can turn on a dime and being smiling and serious, but he just was like putting things together, connecting dots that were just driving me nuts. How the hell did he come to these conclusions based on the evidence that we have scene. He was so super ahead of everybody else, including the audience, that I was just like, shut the fuck up after a while. Like, because where are you getting
getting this information and it was driving me crazy. Well, I will say the prequel novel is about him and the Reapers. This team of SWATs that he's commanding, this is the stars. There's actually a whole bunch of people that get killed in the book that aren't in this film, but it's the whole project Stargazer, how they came across the Predator for the first time. So he's onto it a little bit because they have this other encounter in a book, but you're absolutely right. Because this movie knows it hasn't done a good job of setting up why things are happening, you have to have characters every now and then come out and say, oh, it's because they must be doing it because, you know, we're like Twinkies or something. Yeah, he's got (laughs) to carry a whole lot of exposition on his back in the second half of this movie. But as a setup here, I think it's problematic from the get-go that we have this fake. We're supposed to think that this alien is hunting. He's come to Mexico to do what every predator before him has done, but we'll find out he's actually a peacenik. He actually wanted to help, and the only reason why he's killing and skinning people is because he can't find the helmet and the wrist cuff that he should have been wearing when he got into the escape pod. I thought he was. I thought it got knocked off of him. Yeah. There's some weird things that happen here. First of all, I want to say this movie's a hard R, and I do like it. There's one of McKenna's men we never see named Haynes. Well, we do see him, but by the time we see him, he's like half-skinned and hanging from a tree. (laughs) And the Predator is up there in the tree and invisible. But then he turns off his cloak. He's like, hi, guys, I'm here. And the cloaks again. (laughs) What is this game of peekaboo he's playing? (laughs) And then the Predator is really made less cool in this movie because the Predator doesn't actually hunt. Imagine if you go hunting for deer and instead of having a gun that you have to aim and pull the trigger, you have a gun that when it hears the sound of a deer breathing, it automatically aims and shoots for you. Because that seems to be how all the Predator's equipment works. Here we get the first instance of that where McKenna finds this metal tube and goes, let me see if my arm fits in it. Okay. And it clamps down on his arm and then auto-fires a blade. Killer Frisbee, I called it. Yeah, it fires a killer Frisbee that injures the Predator, but bisects poor Haynes. This is my first instance where I realize, oh, the effects budget of this wasn't what it should be, huh? When Michael Jackson's yellow eyes from the Thriller video look at me through blood that poured on the Predator. I thought it was awesome. I thought that when he got eviscerated and the goo from his entrails make the Predator's invisibility cloak go away because it covers them over, I thought that was wonderfully disgustingly gross. Awesome. I dug that entire effect. I loved it. I liked the blood on the Predator, but it made less sense given that the Predator had already shown himself. And I just thought those Scott Fargus eyes did not work in that scene. It was just a bad effect. I would have loved it if it looked real. It just looked cartoony. But instantly we cut away from this and suddenly we're hanging out with your friend at a cantina and I feel like, wow, I wanted to see more of the scene. What happened at this site? Where are we even? It really isn't clearly established that we're in Mexico until we get to this bar. Yeah, for reasons I can't even tell you, it wasn't even supposed to be Mexico. It was supposed to be Cuba. Somehow they changed it to Mexico. Yeah, I don't know that Mexico has this many forested hills, but whatever. Well, I mean, there's 
somewhere the Mayan temples are, but I don't know how close that is to a city where you can find a cantina and have like a scene from Three Amigos where you flash a gun and make everybody leave. And then what really confuses me is what happens to McKenna after this. Also, in this scene when he's in the bar, when he puts everything in a box to mail things, he picks up a little ball, which we turn out, we learn as the invisibility ball, and he swallows it. Now, I figured out why. He's, he's trying to make sure he doesn't get taken from him, right? But wouldn't that make him invisible if he swallows the invisibility ball? And wouldn't he want to be, since Traeger and his men are pounding at the door? And I have trouble taking a one-a-day vitamin. Can you imagine trying to swallow a foosball? Even if it isn't tequila. I thought he was just being funny, and he put it in tequila like it's the worm. But going down the esophagus? Jesus. You're right. Why doesn't he use it to get out of there and then swallow it? I don't know. That doesn't make no sense to me. Yeah, or send it off with the other stuff that he's mailing to himself. If we're going to get hung up on these things, this show is going to be nine hours long. (laughs) (laughs) This movie has a lot of logic problems, not the least of which is, yes, this little metal ball and the fact that the Predator's armor just keeps doing shit. Like, here, you might want this ball. Yeah, it seems like a convenient way of getting McKenna captured so that he's not able to go and pick up his package and that allows the storyline with his family to progress while he's being detained in some veteran affairs office where they're railroading him. They're trying to expose him as being crazy so they can send him away to some mental hospital. To cover up the fact that he saw an alien. When he's a good military guy who follows orders and would probably just shut the fuck up about it if told to and if he was made part of the team but instead they're just going to shit him away and there's a reference made to lobotomizing him and i'm not sure that's not the case i thought they're going to send him off on a bus to shoot him at a firing squad that's the impression i got the whole bus load was going to get knocked off in the test screening cut of the movie these guys were not military they couldn't command the military these guys were cia and black ops and all kinds of various private sector stuff they were basically blackwater they weren't the military the way they are here right you mean the sterling Browns guys. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. The Reapers is what they're called in the book. But we do jump to see Rory McKenna in school. Am I the only one who got flashbacks to the wizard? <laughs> I didn't think about the wizard, but yeah, certainly there's some applicable characteristics. He didn't write that one. I noticed he's going to Lawrence A. Gordon Elementary School. I looked him up, film producer of the original Predator, and you'll notice this is, quote, the home of the Warriors. He produced Walter Hill's The Warriors as well. I didn't notice either of those things. I noticed that this was taking place in October, and I was immensely disappointed. Apparently, Shane Black can write movies that don't take place at Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) Although these days with the Christmas creep, at least there would have been holiday stuff in the stores. And that seems to be because Rory is having these issues with these bullies we see in their introductory scene, pulling the fire alarm and it sends this kid into an autistic panic. He doesn't evacuate like the other kids and they terrorize him, knock over all the chessboards and we know he's smart. We would have already probably surmised that, but he's able to put all the pieces back exactly as they were there before. And so we know that he's ostracized because he's different, but also very brilliant. And that will be a convenient way for him to learn the entire Predator language and be able to solve all the problems they have with communicating with the creatures and finding their ships. Maybe it's only me thinking this, but I do wonder if Shane Black and Fred Decker know anything about autism that they didn't see in Rain Man. Well, I would 
would suspect they put this in here. I mean, it could be one of two things. It could either be focus group, like you need to have something for children, but this is an R-rated film. Children, theoretically, are not going to be able to see it in theaters. I think that this is just a passion for him. I think that the things that are in here, autism and the VA, are stuff that Shane Black wanted to be in here, very specifically. It's just his powers and everything. I was just so hard thinking about Rain Man and the fact that he beats his own ears when the loud noise comes, just like Raymond did in Rain Man with the fire alarm. And what a terrible freaking school teacher. The fire alarm goes off. The teacher stands up, goes to the door, watches every child leave except Rory. Rory is right there in the middle of the aisle and the teacher's like, eh, whatever. Closes the door and leaves Rory in this room to probably burn to death. Good thing it's a fake fire drill. Thank goodness. I want to thank the movie for teaching me that I don't have to pay my P.O. Box bills because if I don't do that, the mail gets delivered <laughs> to my house. Because I didn't know that was the case. I'm stupidly paying for my P.O. Box. All I got to do is just not pay because I'll drop it off at my house. I mean, I could not believe. How about a postcard? Or how about say we have your package. Come to pick it up. No. My second movie logic shortcut of the movie, but this one made me laugh out loud. Laugh out loud. It makes no sense why this stuff was delivered, but boy, am I glad it was. I actually really liked the line that said, my dad goes off and kills people so you can be a mailman. <laughs> I thought it was terribly convenient that in these next couple of scenes where his mom gives him Halloween costume and doesn't like, that a giant mask is in a box and his dad has a magic invisibility ball. Someone out there thought that was clever writing to have all these different ways this kid can disappear. But for me, I kind of found it contrived. And I'm guessing that this was a bigger part of the original draft of the movie, that the that this was much more of Rory's story. No. Because, I mean, what he all ultimately do is go trick-or-treating and blow up a bully's house. This feels kind of strange that he's given all of this stuff and he does so little in the story. It's actually very similar in the original ending. I mean, the first hour of this movie is pretty much how the two of them wrote it because I read the 2016 draft. There's a few lines here and there that are cut, but it's pretty much the same that, yeah, he gets the mask, he summons Upgrade, and then he decides to go trick-or-treating. I mean, that's pretty much how it goes. And even down to the helmet fires itself. Yeah, but afterwards is what I'm saying like of course that's the setup but then like this kid doesn't matter he just becomes this tool for opening the door he's just a MacGuffin that gets passed around and it's, it's not his story I was afraid that this was going to be a repeat of E.T. but they actually marginalize him once we have this bus full of loonies that they become everything in the film he did phone home Stuart just for the right yes he did yes alright when we get to the bus full of loonies I am very happy because the these are personalities that this movie had been lacking. Again, I said I liked Sterling K. Brown because I think he was fun to watch on screen. But Boyd Holbrook and poor Jacob Tremblay, neither of them are holding me. But when you get Keegan-Michael Key and Thomas Jane and even some people I don't know, Augusto Aguilera and... Yeah, what's so big about these people? They are fun. They have personalities. They tell jokes. They are the best part of this movie. But you were making it sound like, well, I know them, so that's good. It's not like you have the Thomas Jane fan club poster up. I mean, Keegan is like, it could have been me. Like, he's watching his friend win an Oscar, and he's doing Rocket Mortgage. I mean, this guy, <laughs> these are all C-stringers. None of these 
these people are big time. Hey, it's not because of who the actors are, although in the case of Thomas Jane, it did help. Like I just said, I don't know Augusto Aguilera. I don't know Travanti Rhodes, but I still really like them as part of this group. This group has an energy that is very engaging. Well, I hope you like it because that's the entire show for the rest of the movie. He's built something he can't get away from is what the problem becomes is that you can tell Shane Black is passionate. He really wants to have something to say about vets that have been tossed off and not being well treated. And I think there's a story to tell. I wish he had written that script. We could follow that in a believable way. But once these people come into it, it kind of reminded me of the thing from another world. If you remember that old sci-fi movie, we complained there were so many people in the room and it wasn't there because they were fodder they're not like future body count the point is they're just always chattering and nattering and it takes away the whole fear component there's no reason to be afraid of the predator or anything that's going to happen because you have these non-stop jokes being bantered around you know who i thought of the whole time with these guys is those three friends from ant-man the three buddies because they constantly made jokes to one another and they distracted although in ant-man and ant-man 2 they were not overused but here these guys they just monopolized every scene and the rest of the movie to the point where it really became their movie and no longer Boyd Holbrook's. I agree. I I was thinking Ant-Man because of the close-up magic. This is the second movie I've seen this summer where somebody's making playing cards disappear. I I thought that was a very strange coincidence there, but I just had fun with these people. But you're right. I'm kind of going back to what you said, Brock, in that at this point, it's not that Boyd Holbrook isn't the lead of the movie. It's not that he doesn't have the most lines and the most scenes. Is that he's the least fun person on the bus to watch. He's Kermit the Frog, and the rest of these guys are the Muppets. Because all the other Muppets are exciting and funny to watch, obviously different personality, and this guy is the lead who has to keep the loonies together. What it is, is I feel like this is Shane Black's Maloo, right? Like this Coil character feels like a repeat of his character from the original Predator as he's sitting here baiting the guy with Tourette's, always saying these outlandish jokes. It's the kind of things he would have said to the rest of the crew when they were out in the Nicaraguan jungle. Absolutely. But I just get tired of it. I don't think it's that funny. And I definitely think it's a detriment to the movie that it just hands these guys endless Tourette's jokes. If this movie were supposed to be exciting or scary or about the Predator, boy, this should have been its own movie. I wish that Shane Black had written a story about vets because I can tell he cares and I would care, but shoved here in this way, I think that it's problematic. I read an interview with Thomas Jane where he said that this whole crew is just suffering PTSD and that's what they're all going to someplace for. But it doesn't come across that way in this movie. There were in the original script some scenes of McKenna having nightmares and flashbacks to previous wars to show he too was suffering PTSD. I think they just become the funny crazies. And not only is that insensitive to those who suffer mental disorders, but it doesn't give me a reason to see them as connected. I don't know what keeps them all together. And how did they all end up on a bus with McKenna when they've all been together in group therapy and yet McKenna just showed up? It's hurting my head. Yeah, let's not analyze it anymore. Let's look at the other major character in this storyline that gets shoehorned in. Dr. Casey Brackett, a (laughs) evolutionary biologist who they invite to come to their lab. And then when she decides to look at one of the vials they don't want her to know about for some reason... 
they want to kill her. I mean, this makes no sense. Oh, my God. They just want to know if someone fucked an alien. She's not the worst casting of a scientist we've ever reviewed. Denise Richards still holds that and is my low bar. I thought Olivia Munn would be Denise Richards bad. She is not. No, I think the actress is fine. I'd have no problem with the performance. I know that the movie studios, they quantify. We need to have a female in here and she needs to kick ass because that's the trend right now. And so, yes, in theory, she's a scientist, but mostly this is about her doing acrobatics, jumping on buses, firing trank guns, all of that kind of stuff she needed for this film. I had the same thought about Denise Richards, how can I not? And I still have a bad taste in my mouth from her doing Psylocke in that last X-Men movie, right? Well, that's a bad tasting movie, yes. Yeah, but I don't dislike Olivia Munn. I don't believe her as a scientist, but I did actually like her in action mode. I thought that worked pretty well. I don't see how a scientist thinks it's a good idea when a big alien's running amok in a scientific lab that you actually follow decamination protocol. Why would she do that? I mean, maybe because she's a scientist, she feels a need to decontaminate, but some of the choices she made in this movie don't befit a scientist. Well, she decontaminated because she wasn't going to be let out of the room otherwise. Okay, but so she is as good as an action star, but a questionable scientist, not because it's Olivia Munn playing a scientist, but the scientist herself makes incredibly weird choices for a scientist. I don't get it. She is bad as a scientist. I'm going to say I do not like Olivia Munn as an actress. She looked great. She was great cosplay in X-Men Age of Apocalypse, but anytime she opened her mouth, it was terrible. I've also (laughs) seen Office Christmas Party. She's ruinous in that film, which is not a very good film anyway, but she can't hold her own against comedians. And here, I really disliked her in scientist mode. I don't buy her as an evolutionary biologist. I don't understand her story. And even in the original script where it exists and having read it in subtitles on this one and reading it in the original script, I still don't understand her story of how she got involved in this project because she wrote a letter to Clinton when she was six. And when she's told about DNA, she doesn't ask about DNA. She doesn't like go to a microscope. She gets an iPad and is like, who is this guy? I want to talk to him. Why does a biologist want to talk to him? But when she picks up a gun and starts running and isn't trying to be smart, I go with her. She's fine in this movie. But anytime she's trying to speak science, it hurts me. Yeah, well, they don't need this. This movie draws this thing out when they could just speak to it right at the get-go. We have a scientist here, Sean Keyes, played by Jake Busey, who is Gary Busey's son, and the name Keyes. It was ringing a bell. I looked it up. Gary Busey played Keyes in Predator 2. So Jake Busey is Gary Busey's son in universe. I love it. Okay, well, yes, that is why he got the job. There's no other reason to ever cast him. Agreed. Yeah, because I did think about it. I mean, when I think of him, I think of Starship Troopers. I think of the Frighteners. Contact. Yeah, I think of Contact. I don't think of anything from this century. They already have these vials of liquid. They already seem to know. It's like they're calling in Olivia Munn for confirmation. They want to just have another doctor take a look at the evidence and say, yeah, you're right. This is the big retcon of this movie. And they tease it all movie long. And it's kind of horrible, right? Like if you're a Predator fan, the idea that we're going to retcon that rather than hunting because they like the sport of it and they like to chase big muscular Arnold Schwarzenegger because he's tough. No, he's got the best DNA and they want to drink his spine? That's crap. 
It is terrible, but it got me thinking. <laughs> All right, Predator as a first movie is a guy out hunting, okay? So if you're a rabbit and you are making movies for other rabbits and you make a movie called The Human and it's about a guy who's come out to shoot you, and laid traps for you and done all this and killed your rabbit buddies. Okay, what's the sequel to that like? Is it just always the hunter with the gun and he's just coming to take your pelt? Sequel? I would not even think that would be successful. You you know the analogy I'm drawing I think I know where you're going. So I feel like they're in a catch-22 because nobody wants to see the rabbit movie probably at all, but you definitely don't want to see it when the guy goes back home and just like puts his feet up, cracks open a pack, and watches some TV, you know? So we don't want to explore the Predator world. We don't want to ask the questions that were there from the first movie of how can he be so bestial? And yet, are there Predator scientists who made the ships? I mean, where are they getting all this? I think you're wrong. I think we've always wondered about the world. I think that has been an enduring question for both the Xenomorph and for the Predator, and they tried to answer that in previous movies. I mean, that was why Robert Rodriguez went to another planet in that third film is that we do wonder where these people come from and why they might want to do this hunt so badly. But we saw it in AVP Requiem. Stop. No, I can't stop. It's a movie. It's a movie in the Predator series. It's a movie that's even referenced. One of the spears in Key's office is the spear from AVP 1. They're not taking it out of continuity, so I'm not going to. But I didn't like even going there and seeing the wolf get his call to come clean up Earth. You're right. We do want to know more about them. But it becomes the catch-22 of if you start showing us, which they do in this film, predator scientists and, what, predator nerds? (laughs) I think it just takes away from what makes them scary. Around this time, too, Arnie, they bring up something that's against the predator, but I thought was kind of clever. It became a running gag. They point out that the predator isn't actually a predator but he's actually a hunter and he's misnamed. And I thought, well, is that like a big bone of contention on the internet and people have been arguing about this for 30 years? Or are these people finally realize, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, we should point that out. It's kind of funny. I like to think that Shane Black had that problem like when he was filming the first movie with John McTiernan and they're like, yeah, Predator sounds cooler. We're just going with it. Right. I I thought it was funny that she equated them to bass fishermen. Yeah. I mean, all that's really fun, right? So if you're going to take a couple of swipes at the Predator franchise, that's a great way to do it, right? Because we're all like, yeah, we don't care. We want to call him the Predator, right? It's like when they did the, why does Arnold Schwarzenegger have his accent when he's a robot, right? Well, they explained that in one of the Terminator sequels, because here's what it would sound like if he didn't, right? So it's the same kind of joke, which I kind of liked. I'd rather have more stuff like that and still give me a cool Predator hunting the human kind of movie than over-explain a backstory. I don't know if I really want to go to the Predator world and see Predator society, but I certainly didn't like the whole DNA. Also, why do they keep coming back to Earth? I'm flattered, you know, that they want to come back and think human DNA is so wonderful, but you would think that after traveling the galaxy, they may find something bigger and better that they might want to get their spinal fluid of. Well, Traeger is eventually going to compare us to Twinkies. The analogy is that when they announced Twinkies would no longer be produced, everyone wanted a Twinkie, and because Earth is in danger of global warming, and soon, presumably in a generation or two, we will be dead. Keep in mind, this is all Sterling K. 
Brown just hypothesizing, pulling it out of the air, just saying, I think this must be what it is. Right. But the idea is because we are a limited quantity, you better get them while they're hot. Literally. You better <laughs> come here while it's hot. <laughs> or before it's too hot. Yeah. Right. But that still doesn't make any sense to me. There's also a line said that the Predators want to move here. Oh, you're right. This is expounded upon in the script I read, is that the Predator world is becoming uninhabitable for them, and so they do want to move here. Here, it's just a really weird dropped line. I'm like, wait, are they coming to kill us? Or are they trying to move in? Is this War of the Worlds and they're terraforming? They're just pulling from so many sci-fi sources that have done it first and done it better. Right, if you're going to move here and take over the planet, just kill everybody. You know, you don't really need to have this DNA thing that doesn't make any sense to me. That's Again, it's like Independence Day. They were coming here to, to wipe us out, right? Just just make a choice. I don't buy that they're going to keep coming back to Earth to get our spinal fluid. I don't buy that because even though humans are wonderful and I'm a big fan of us, I'm just saying that there's probably bigger and better creatures across the galaxy. They already know of one that's even more scary and with the xenomorph, right? So it doesn't make much sense to me. They can say that if they want to, but I don't buy it. Right. You're going to see what drinking human spinal fluid does for you because the second Predator ship finally makes it to Earth. I don't know why he was so much slower. I took it as you can't follow through hyperspace. It's the Star Wars rule, and I think they do it in Star Trek too. Once you jump to light speed, the ship following you doesn't know where you've gone. So Upgrade can't figure it out until... Rory starts activating the Predator stuff on Earth. Right. And then Upgrade's able to track it to the planet and say, okay, now I know where I need to jump. He doesn't know that the guy wants to help out Earthlings because they're a rare commodity. That's the whole thing. This movie is dumb as fuck. It is. All right. <laughs> and anyway, my point is all of a sudden we have some jet fights because cloaked and then uncloaked. I think that's where Rory comes in is Rory's playing with the mask and this cloaked ship becomes uncloaked. And thus why we have... Yeah, scientists that can instantly identify and target the second predator ship but have no idea where the first predator ship is with the big MacGuffin that they need. And nor is this little P when he wakes up saying hey everybody, I got some important news. You need to go to my ship. He's instead biting people, clawing people, and generally putting out a bad image for predators to humankind. <laughs> I loved that he bit people. I loved that the predators bite in this film. They have these scary mouths right that can like distend and in five movies we never see them use that offensively i like that i'll just lay it out in the original script he'd been playing possum he'd been waiting and he let them take him because he needed new equipment and he knew they'd take him somewhere where he could get new equipment and that new equipment is the backstory of the book if you want to know how they got the spears how they got all of that stuff that's decorating the hall it's because they ran into this first predator in florida who i believe the whole time i was reading it was this little pun but gets killed at the end just was a mean alien and so they took his stuff and stuck it on the wall that's the only backstory you're going to get in this supposed prequel and no the book is not good enough otherwise to endure it's a bad book but you don't need that book, Stuart, to get that they got these artifacts because that's how they learned so much about the Predators. Of course you don't. You would read the prequel to find out why little P is here. You wouldn't, for some nameless Predator, fighting some nameless mercenaries. That I don't know what, that's a wank job. There's no point to that. Except it's supposed to be a mystery why he's here. You don't want the prequel novel to spoil the movie you're about to watch. That is the mystery of the movie is what is this Predator doing? What does this Predator want? I don't like this DNA plot, not only because, yes, we do see scientist predators, which I've always feared, 
But also, this is the alien thing. It's like Shane Black wanted to make an alien movie and they were too busy doing Covenant and Prometheus. And so he's like, well, if I can't have aliens that are going to look like other creatures, well, let's make the Predators look different. And I dislike the fact that the Predator isn't cool enough. Predator 1, Predator 2, aliens versus Predator. At least we have the Predator. But yet in Requiem, in Predators, and in the Predator, all three, we must now have a bigger, badder predator. Remember they did this exact same shit in Predators where there was a bigger predator who killed the tinier predator? Yeah. Why can't this big guy be the bigger predator? Because we've seen it in every franchise that goes on long enough. Right. We get bored with the original and we need to do something to spruce it up and give it a makeover. And so that means, yeah, giving it some new look. And so we have an 11 foot tall predator and a, a relatively, by comparison, short seven foot predator predator and they're gonna both try to trace down rory and that's gonna be the middle of this movie is everyone's trying to find the autistic kid who has the magic spinal juice i guess well we have this predator run amok in a terminator in the police station type scene where he kills everybody because that's the only predator action we're really gonna get for a while until they lay out more of the story of rory with the dogs and stuff like that so like i thought they really featured this predator action and over the top violence here just to tell the people, yeah, it's a Predator movie. We're going to give you some Predator's kills. And now. And they had the whole thing with Olivia Munn being naked. And that was a callback to the first movie when Arnold was in the mud about how we, if you're not armed, you're not going to get hurt, right? Something like that. In Arnold, he couldn't be seen. It's not that he wasn't armed. It's that they couldn't see him. And now here, it's, yeah, she's naked and cowering. I will give the movie this. They never go cheesecake. And with Olivia Munn, why wouldn't you? I mean, she's been on more Maxim covers than Jamie Presley. And yet they never go that way with her. I'm, I was kind of impressed that they didn't, especially since in the original script, she was just walking around naked for a while. But I'm not wrong, right? The Predator did have, we, we talked about this on previous shows, that if you're not armed, the Predator will not kill you. Yeah, the, the female in the original at one point was cornered and they were like, why didn't he kill her? It, it's not a gender bias. It's if you don't carry a weapon, it's no fun. At least that's the way I understood it. There's no sport in killing you if you don't have a weapon in your hand. Well, if you're not a threat, if a predator is hunting you and you just throw down your gun, it's not like the predator goes, oh, well, that's over. You know, he would have still shot Arnold if he could have seen Arnold because he knew Arnold was a danger. Here he sees this woman just cowering and yeah, she does not look threatening at all. But later in the movie, she does mention he didn't attack me when I was naked. And I thought for sure in the climax, these loonies were going to strip down naked and wait and the predator was going to walk right by them. I was convinced that was going to be a big joke in the, in the climax of the movie. And that never came. Thank God. I'm not saying I wanted that. I'm just saying I, that's what I thought they were going to do. <laughs> we need less loonies. I mean, here they're given free reign. They take over the bus and they kind of capture her. She literally shoots herself in the foot with a trank. Did she mean to jump on the bus? I'm really curious because she's chasing the predator. Yeah. Again, college professor, <laughs> biologist, picks up a gun, chases the predator. The predator leaps from the roof down to the street because he's a predator. He can do that. She leaps from the roof because she's been playing too much Spider-Man on the PS4. What the hell was she thinking? At best, she's going to break a leg unless she was trying to jump on the bus, which is stupid too. Well, I think this series has lacked a kick-ass female, honestly. I mean, I think times are such these days. We want to see the women as tough or tougher 
her than the men. So they just overwrote her abilities. It's ridiculous that she's doing that. But this is the character they've decided is going to be the kick-ass female. It doesn't really match up with the image I have of an evolutionary biologist, but it's a movie. I'm not going to hold the fact that that's illogical against it if it's exciting. I just think that it ends up being this silly joke about kind of creepy. Are they going to rape her once they take her back to a hotel room and she's tranked out? Well, they never were. I mean, that was the. I know that McKenna had that thought, but it was stated, I think, pretty clearly. No, that these guys are soldiers. They would not do that. Yeah. Why does that not comfort me? I, I was like, yeah, that's not a good enough excuse, actually. Casualties of war. Right. I can think of movies where that would not be a reason to cross that theory out. But whatever. They don't want to get creepy like that. And I'm glad because I just want this to have a consistent tone. And I don't want it to be about the loonies. But again, we're in the middle of this movie and it's about them offering all these little knickknacks when she wakes up. The fact that she even stays with them. Illogical. There's really no good reason. She's told that she'll be killed if she goes back because she stole a vial. I don't understand that. They wanted her to look at the vial and to verify that they're on the right track with the predator juice and the spinal stuff. This is made more explicit in the original script is that she didn't trust them so she stole that. And so because she then proved herself untrustworthy, Traeger is saying kill her and that's what makes her stick around. I mean, McKenna says you can leave if you want to but they were trying to kill you. Alright, I don't understand this. So the predator escapes. He just Jumps on a military van, gets in the back, kills all the troops. The driver's like, you okay back there? He knows what a thumbs up symbol is. He sticks the fucking amputated arm. What is that scene about? What is he gaining? Uh, Shane Black wants to be funny. And uh, one should ask constantly why the emphasis is so much on humor. There was humor in all the Predators, but I wouldn't call any of them comedies. And this one is coming dangerously close to being labeled purely a comedy with bits like that. That was one of the moments that was making me want to turn on the movie. There were a couple of times where the jokes went too far. There's also later in the movie they talked about, my middle name is Get the Fuck Out of Here. And the other guy said, and I thought Gaylord was bad. And I was like, oh my God. So there's certain types like the humor just overpowers anything. It's not even clever. It's like, you got to be kidding me. The humor was the best thing going for it, but should it have been is I guess the real question. And when you have scenes like that predator using the thumbs up of a severed hand, it's starting to feel like the old lady with the mop in Predator 2. Yeah, it really did feel like that. And then some Somewhere on the editing room floor, they get a camper van and decide to drive back to Quinn's home and yeah, try and find his autistic kid who he knows has all his Predator memorabilia. It is good to see Yvonne Strahovski here. I loved Chuck. I loved her in Chuck. I thought she was very good. You would never know she was an Aussie the way she pulls off that American accent. It's always weird for me to see an interview with her. I know her from Handmaid's Tale. Yeah, she's been around. She's working great. And also we've seen her kick ass on Chuck. You know, if you have Yvonne Stravowski cast, why not put her in the Olivia Munn role? Why not? We know she can do it. She would have been better. She can do smart. Yeah. Olivia Munn is a bigger name, though. Well, make Olivia Munn the... why? It just Why do we have these two different characters? Why isn't this about a family putting themselves together if that's the central thrust of this movie? So we have an estranged father, wife, and child. Them coming together to help the Predator. I mean, it's not necessarily the movie I want, but it seems to be like the movie they wanted to tell. 
and then other things got in the way. And I feel like this movie would be better if it simplified, consolidated, and just got to where it was going more cleanly. No arguments from me. The problem is, if you took away the things that are currently muddying up the film, you're taking away the good things about the film. Because the Predator is the least exciting character in this movie. He's not scary. He's not interesting. Now, I did like the Predator dogs. Now, we did see those previously in Predators. Yeah. They're doing something with dogs in this movie, and I don't know what they might have ever hoped to do, but if you've noticed, Olivia Munn was introduced at a dog park, and then Rory is walking home from school. There's a pit bull that will follow him, and it's he's like afraid of it, and then later at the baseball field, he's going to pet it. What were they going for with all of this? I thought it might be... <laughs> Here's what I went for is we see the pit bull and he's barking at Rory and Rory's afraid. But then Rory finds out when alone with the pit bull, the pit bull's not so bad. Pit bull kind of nice. Pet the pit bull. And we see the predator dogs and they come in and they're all snarl, snarl, chomp, chomp. But then they lobotomize one by putting a bullet in its head and all of a sudden it's really friendly and it <laughs> likes to fetch. I have this fear that there is a scene rightfully cut where like it's a boy and his predator dog and like he's riding him or commanding him to to do so like just something you just wouldn't want this movie to do it was always olivia munn's dog in the original script but yes he does play a bit in the end but i thought what it was trying to tell us is scary things don't have to be scary they can sometimes be your friend like this little predator running around he looks scary and he's skinning people but he's here to help us i thought they were like paving the way for that but the other thing they were doing, I'll jump ahead a little bit. The original climax had predator spiders, predator lizards, predator alligators, all kinds of predator monster pets. Okay. Yeah, right. I can all right. I can see why that would be something you'd cut. <laughs> it was the entire last half hour. And that was filmed or that was just written? It was filmed, shown to a test audience. The effects were never completed, but it was done. Oh, good Lord. They thought it was a good enough idea. Well, we'll I'll tell you how it plays out. But yes, the predator dogs were the only animals left because they couldn't cut them out effectively. They'd used them too much, but they were to slow boil us to believe in all the predator menagerie. Yeah. Okay. Well, whatever. At any rate, all of this is transpiring at the school. We get some more action in which essentially big pun takes a little pun, rips his skull out, drinks the juice, and Olivia Munn's the only one that noticed it. I've seen the movie twice. I tried to see it and she's like, hey, did anyone notice he just grew an exoskeleton? I'm like, no, I did not see that. Thank God, me either, either time. I didn't see that either. People have to keep explaining what's happening in this movie because it probably wouldn't occur to you that they're doing this stupid thing where, yeah, you drink spinal fluid and it makes you into whatever the creature was that you're drinking from. But the exoskeleton... Wait, you don't drink the... Oh, I'm, you know what? Roll out. Yeah. <laughs> I can't do that. It's so dumb. It's dumb. Where are they going to? Like, Big Pun decides that this is his best lead into finding where a little pun had the ship. Probably should have asked him a few more questions, tortured him to get the idea about where his little MacGuffin is that everything is riding on. He's brought something to Earth that is supposed to protect us. I want to ask, it crashed, right? It's not like they, he would even know where his ship is. He shot out in an escape pod that landed in Mexico. How would he know where his ship is? GPS? <laughs> 
<laughs> I think it is a matter of the equipment. It all comes down to chasing those parts that Rory has because then you can find the ship. Okay, so why go to an abandoned barn that is no one's? Like, I think this is the Fox back lot set where Wolverine got his leather jacket from the old people. It's just <laughs> every time they just need a barn set. Let's just go here. Yeah, according to the original script, this was supposed to be really metaphorical. It wasn't just a barn. It was a slaughterhouse. All right. That still doesn't explain why they go here, but it allows us to regroup. You know, you always need a breather. A little after the middle of the movie, people need to take a breath see what they're going to do and father gets to talk with son finally this is the first time in a long time Quinn has seen his son his first thing he says to him is your mom cutting your hair I mean I feel like that's the story that probably should have been told but because Shane Black loves his kooky vet so much in every scene they're just stealing it away and you just feel like that's all you're paying attention to for better or for worse sometimes the jokes are funny many times for me they're not but I just feel like they're unnecessary give the movie to to the actors who are earning it. Don't let the bland people own the screen. I agree with that instinct. If I was in the editing room, I'd have cut much more out of the McKenna family. Yeah, but if you were at the typewriter, you would have just gone in a different direction. And if I was at the casting office, I wouldn't have picked Boyd. Well, look, if you're going to have a movie about the, the loonies, as they call them, then make the movie about the loonies, I think is what Stuart's saying. And if you set the movie up to be about the family, stick with the same protagonist, but the movie goes off to a whole different tangent, it's like Rogue One. The second half of Rogue One is a different movie than the first half of Rogue One, and we all know why, and we still enjoy Rogue One. That movie made it work much better than this movie does when the first half is different than the second half of the movie, without who the protagonists are and, who, and what we're following, what we're doing. But eventually, we got to get to a climax where Traeger has taken Rory, and all the loonies have battled it out in the barn with nameless people, and they're going to be led to the ship by the dog. This is where everything changes. The moment they escape the slaughterhouse is where the new film stuff, and keep in mind, it was done pretty quickly. Not a frame of what we see. Well, all right, there were a couple frames, but let me tell you the original ending and see if you guys like this at all better. So, the military comes in. The army. We have an army general. Played by Edward James Almost. Yes, he was almost in this film. <laughs> and he kills Traeger. So Traeger is killed at like the one hour mark. And the general's like, yeah, we never liked this guy. Traeger was trying to... The stuff, that yellow vial that Brackett had was predator spinal fluid that Traeger was going to use to create a better human. The way predator were evolving, humans were going to evolve, and he was going to create a way that we could survive the climate change, and he would sell it to the rich people so that only the rich can survive the climate change. And that's why he wanted Brackett killed is because she was taking his moneymaker. So now we have the general roll in, shoot Traeger and say, okay, here's what's really going on. There's a predator civil war. We have two predators at Area 52. No, that's not a misspeak. I don't mean Area 51. There's an Area 52. <laughs> the sequel. There's two predators that have been hanging out there for a year. This predator that came to Earth on his ship, the crash ship, was called the Ark, like Noah's. And it had come bringing with it all of these animals because upgrade, these were his pets. He had trained all of them to hunt and he was going to come to Earth with all of these animals to kill humans. So the other predator decided to steal the animals and bring them to Earth so we could 
take care of them first and not be attacked by them. But the little predator was killed. Upgrade gets his menagerie of predator spiders and predator dogs and predator pumas and everything. And so the final battle happens at Area 52 in broad daylight where, and there's photos of this on the web, and they're hysterical. Quinn teams up with the predators who get in a tank and a Humvee and start shooting at all these animals. You see predators driving human military tanks. It's funny. You're telling me all that was actually filmed? Yes! (laughs) I have to just keep telling you that, huh? I'm having trouble with that. It does explain why they, like, I heard that these problems were happening and that they were stopping it. They were talking about not releasing the film. Again, delays for six months or more. Of course you delay that. Of course you don't release that. That sounds horrible. (laughs) Yes, it does. But it made a lot of sense to me that they went back into a forest at the end of this movie. I'm thinking, okay, they're going to go back to like a jungle type setting. This time it's a forest, but they have trees. They can harken back to the original Predator movie. That makes a lot more sense. And I didn't, I didn't say I loved it what they did, but at least they did that. It made sense to do that. And the climax that they'd filmed originally was all filmed in daylight. When Shane Black was asked at Comic-Con, can you tell me about the reshoots? Well, we did it in daylight and we realized that the Predator just wasn't scary enough. Mm. So we went back to film it at night so we could remind people how scary the Predator is. That's the whitewash over. We took out 80 types of Predator animals, but if you wonder why it's nighttime when the Predator is like, I give you head start. (laughs) And he's doing the hunting. But later on, when... Quinn is like on top of the ship and doing some really poor green screen and it's daylight. That stuff was actually still in the original of like the legs getting cut off by the shields and everything. So they did find a way to reuse some of the stuff. Yeah, they weren't ready to make this movie. They knew they wanted to hit the 30th anniversary, but they didn't have a real good, clear idea about what a Predator movie should be 30 years later. And so you have all these half-baked ideas, some of which might have worked set up an entirely different way, but with the characters that we've been given and that being the climax, I don't know why anyone would go hunting with spiders. Like, I don't understand any of that. That sounds like garbage. And it was actually really deadly. I mean, the spider attacks Quinn and Rory and they have trouble killing him and Rory is the one who figures out how to save them all because he figures out all the animals have collars on which is the self-destruct like the first predator had in the 87 movie and so Rory flies the predator ship and activates the self-destruct killing all the animals so I'm liking this movie a whole lot more because what you're describing is a complete failure and what we get here in the climax (laughs) it just feels a little underwhelming here we get Chekhov's bowel movement I I guess if you eat the MacGuffin in Act 1, you must shit it out in Act 3 and then turn invisible to save your kid at the ship. I didn't know eating a foosball would give you the same stomach noises as Taco Bell. Yeah, that does do that to me. Yeah, totally. And I think it's it's a time advantage, and I thought that was something like Borat would say, not understanding the translation, and he said, Ty will give you time advantage. And I was like, what the hell does time advantage mean? And it means head start, right? We know what that means, but the way he said it, I was like, why would he say time advantage? Doesn't make any sense to me. For some reason, I was on that. I was like, oh, yeah, head start. I was thinking, oh, something got lost in the translation in the translator. (laughs) That's what happened to me. It's still better than the original script where those two friendly predators have 
iPhones that translate their words to English. So they're basically speaking English. Here's the thing about the loonies, though. When I was introduced to them, I knew there were loonies that I really liked and loonies I didn't. You've asked me a couple of times about the explosive experts, Lynch. I can't explain him. Yeah, why he's there among them. Again, he's not American. He's not in the army. I, I don't know why he would be quarantined in the same way. What he was doing that gets his arm shot off. And does anyone notice that when he's there? I don't think he told a joke. I don't think he did anything to last. I mean, most of the people here have a moment. They give them a moment to tell a joke or to be funny or to be moving. I do think the character out of all of them, the one we like, the one that's most close to sane, the suicidal one is Nebraska. Like he has had a genuine friendship build up with Quinn and we are rooting for him. The others, we know they're dead meat. We know that they're here for a cheap laugh, that they'll be gone here in the forest. But that's the thing. I thought for sure we would see the poorly developed ones like Lynch and Nettles, they'd be early kills. Like they'd be taken out by the predator dogs. And then later we'd feel bad as we lose Baxley and Coyle and Nebraska would be last, but it would be the body count spread throughout. This movie is deathless of any named characters until this final act. And that's because I do not believe Shane Black wanted to kill these guys. This is the movie for him. He's holding on to them for as long as he can. He doesn't want to give them up. He doesn't want them to be meted out every 10 minutes another death. He wants to retain these people, again, like Howard Hawks did with The Thing from Another World, just to be running commentary as we watch this creature go on a rampage. And it's just an instinct that is very counter to action and suspense and horror. He did the same thing in the original script. I mean, obviously, if the first hour is the same, these guys live till the end. They all did die in the original script, too, but... Yeah, I mean, there's a precedence for that. I mean, I think this kind of guy movie ends with you losing a lot of the ones you love, but does it mean anything that we have Coyle and Baxley, who I guess befriended one another during a friendly fire incident. Here's what happened, and this is really, unfortunately, it's told to us by Nettles, and so it's all mumbles, and I couldn't understand it, but I heard something about, isn't that romantic? That's why I wondered if they were, like, lovers or something, and I'm like, that's really kind of cool in the Rogue One kind of way, and the fact that Coyle made so much fun of Baxley, you know, they were ribbing each other, but here's what it is, and I could only could tell this through the subtitles, Coyle killed his entire squad squad. Yeah, no, it's clear. Except for Baxley. Baxley was in that squad. But it was accidental. To be clear, he got turned around and was his vehicle had turned and he was firing at what he thought was the enemy. It was just his friends coming up behind him. Yeah. 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 And then they got to know each other when they were at the military tribunal. I didn't understand a damn word of that that was mumbled the first time I saw it. It's explained, but you're right. It isn't dramatized. It's an accident, but he's also stripped of his rank and gone loony from it. I mean, it's affected him. The moment of them looking at each other, both impaled, both know they're going to die, and they decide to kill each other out of friendship, camaraderie. Mercy. Mercy. Oh, sure. I like that scene. The scene I love is they're fighting Upgrade, and they lure him to an area with bombs, and they catch him on fire, and the guy isn't falling. (laughs) And Thomas Jane gets the most badass moment of the movie where he grabs a knife, leaps on this flaming predator, and 
just keeps stabbing him and like, why won't you die? I mean, he obviously was sacrificing himself. Even if he hadn't been impaled on a branch, those third degree burns were not going to heal. But my God, that was awesome. It was great. That whole sequence was kind of good. I kind of enjoyed once they got back to Predator in the forest and people getting killed and people fighting. I was enjoying what I was seeing. And I thought the way these two ended, that whole sequence was one of the stronger ones in the movie. Uh, The fire was cool. I don't know. These two, I always, I never had much expectation that they would make it or do anything that memorable. I was rooting for Nebraska and I was wanting to see how Traeger was going to get it. I barely notice. He, He has like a Predator gun on his shoulder. He's trying to use their technology to fire at him. How does he die? I don't know. Two movies and I didn't catch it. Yeah, that would be a moment you'd want to underline. The big villain, probably like he shot himself or something, but I couldn't quite make it out. We finally get to the ship and Big Pun is declared that the McKenna he really wants is Rory. He's going to take him with him. I don't know why he just doesn't take his skull, but we do know why, because they're not going to kill a kid in front of us. This movie is R-rated, but it's not that nihilistic. And so we have to got to save the kid climax where everyone's jumping on top of the ship as it's taken off. And was that some bad green screen or was that the worst green screen we've seen in a long time? It's like 1980s green screen. They all thought jumping on top of a ship was a good idea, like TJ Hooker. I don't understand that at all. I think they just got the stupidity gene from the Olivia Munn doctor when she jumped on a bus. It worked out for her. Yeah, you don't want to drink any of this spinal fluid. If you're trying to make yourself better, (laughs) this is not going to do that. These guys should be left behind. But it allows for some semi-cool, you know, when the cloaking barrier comes up, it does cut nettles in half. He's literally cut off at the knees. And then the suicidal guy finally has a reason to commit suicide. He can jump in the engine and make the ship crash. It gives them a point. I guess. I struggle to use that word. Something got cut because the shield starts and McKenna gets under it. Nebraska gets over it. Yeah. And nettles gets cut up at the knees and thrown back. But then all of a sudden Nebraska's coughing up blood. Mm -hmm. And I know in the original script he died because somebody fired a missile at the ship and he was outside the shields. But something here, I'm like, did they go too high? Is the pressure too high? He was dying anyway. He was not in a position where he was going to survive this flight. So he decides as his last act to be heroic and jump into the engine, which conveniently doesn't have a shield, but I never on two viewings figured out why he was coughing up blood. Yeah, you're right. It's a leftover from something else, and all of this is a mishmash. At the end, I mean, you can track it if you want to, but basically, everyone gets a moment. You know, the dog comes back with a weapon, and Olivia Munn is cloaks herself for some goddamn reason, and even the little kid turns on something that cuts the predator's arm off, and yeah, the shield, because we saw that with Nettles, is that he lost his knees, That was setting up Chekhov's shield amputation. Right. And McKenna gets the kill shot because he's a sniper and he's our hero and we want him to blast this big alien. It's a throwback. There's many callbacks in this movie, but what are you? That was something that Arnold asked. And I think it had been asked a couple times, maybe in all the Predator movies. Yeah, but why would the big Predator take the father and just throw him around at this point in the movie? Why isn't the Predator kill the sniper guy, but instead he just picks him up and throws him against trees and against buildings? That doesn't make any sense. I mean, everyone else gets a moment, but Quinn gets too many. Quinn should have died like four times. He's against a predator, a super predator. So it it made no sense. Quinn is the hero. Yeah, because he got overshadowed by his loonies, you haven't felt 
that he deserved to live till the end here. And so when he's doing this impromptu memorial for his fallen friends, I mean, I didn't even recognize this stuff. He's like, I'll always think of Coil when I hold up the Tootsie Roll. I'm like, really? Did he ever have a Tootsie Roll? <laughs> Who, yeah. a girl? Baxley? I didn't know any of this stuff, but whatever. We're told they're the ones that won't be remembered, but we're thinking more about these loonies than we're thinking about this family here when they pull it together for some epilogue where they're all working for the space program. Did that not feel like the ending to Independence Day Resurgence where they talk about, we're going to take the fight to the aliens and the they have the special technology. And I thought the green screen on top of the ship was bad. But dear Lord, how bad was that Predator suit? How completely cartoonish and two-dimensional was that? It looked like a reject from Virus, that Jamie Lee Curtis 90s movie. Wow. <laughs> That's an interesting comment. Mine was Photon. I can be even more obscure. <laughs> if you remember, Laser Tag had a ripoff. Yeah, totally. Photon, yeah. and there was like a robot friend. He looked a lot like that to me. I was thinking... Thinking it was one of those bad Iron Man outfits that didn't quite work out. It looked like War Machine because it had the silver and it had the shoulder guns, but it then had a Predator mask. But I just couldn't get over how flat and not there it is. And now, once I learned that they had to rush this ending, it makes sense. The effects has... I actually... Okay, I sat through the credits at the end of this movie because I wanted to call out, what shitty-ass effects house do I blame for this? And then there were like 12 that worked on this thing. And so I can't narrow it down, but I'm now more sympathetic than I was in my first viewing because they didn't have time. This looks like the animatic. This looks like the thing they show the director to say and this is what he'll move but he's going to actually look real when we're done and they never had time to get to done. Yeah and we have no idea why little P would bring such a suit to kill his own kind. Uh, That is just a glaring unanswered question that just makes all of this feel very very strange. I don't know why Quinn thinks that he'll be wearing it next time or why there will be a next time. And they really needed a better joke than the 42 longs thing. It's just what the hell. Before we end up here, guys, I want to ask you, obviously all three of us probably caught the three big references to the original Predator. We Instead of saying it's an ugly motherfucker, she said it's a beautiful motherfucker. They get to the chopper, which was a grown, funny kind of laugh thing. Yeah, because they meant bikes. They meant motorcycles. But the third one, and I thought that was quite strange, they had Billy's laugh. The big giant Predator did Billy's laugh from the first movie, and I thought that was a really strange callback in that why would this Predator have that programmed in his suit, especially if he echoed it back in context in the first movie. Did you guys catch that? I didn't catch the Billy laugh. What Mm -hmm. I caught was Predators can speak English. I always thought in that first movie and the second one, like, they were using some kind of voice modulator. Nah, they can just learn our language, and apparently they know what it means. Next time you watch the movie, guys, see if you can hear Billy's laugh. I'm pretty sure I heard it. I'm like, I can't believe they used that. So next time you watch it, Arnie, when you're cleaning the house, when it's on in the background, you let me know. I'm never watching this <laughs> film again. But your friend! <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Javier. I'm gonna go watch Overboard. He was in that, too. And I would rather watch the remake of Overboard. Well, we're doing our Overboard retrospective next year, right? When they do it remake the third time? That's just when now playing has overstayed its welcome. <laughs> That's when we've gone overboard. See, that's a Shane Black joke right there. Uh, So, Arnie, Stuart, do you recommend The Predator? Stuart. You know, I'm going to quote Quinn on this one. These are the ones that no one is going to remember. Just us. (laughs) I feel that way about this franchise. Predator is such a C student. He did well enough on that first test, but boy, every time he's showing up late, he's not doing his work, he's not living up to his potential, he's turning in D and F efforts in those Predator 2 (laughs) 
AFP. <laughs> then he hands in a C-plus paper with Predators, and we're all jumping up and down <laughs> like, yay, that's good. That movie wasn't good either. I want to turn that arrow at least sideways, if not all the way down. We've given this guy a pass for way too long, and 30 years later, I think we're owed another movie of the quality of the original. And that's what I'm judging this on. It can't just be a C paper, which is what I think this is. We've talked a lot about the little problems that become more apparent when you watch it a second time, frankly. I thought the movie was okay, even almost recommendable the first time I watched it. Upon closer analysis, boy, the flaws in the edits were ugly and obvious, but ultimately, whether it's mediocre or bad, it should be really good. We're owed another really good Predator movie after wading through all of these half attempts to keep the franchise going. There doesn't seem to be a good reason. All of them. They're all not recommends with the exception of the first Predator, and this is no exception. Arnie. The end of the movie, we're told that the Predator brought us a weapon to defend ourselves. It brought us a Predator killer. Its name was Shane Black. He has killed Predator. He has killed my goodwill for the series. He has killed the franchise. Look at the box office. Unless China eats this up, we will not see the Predator again. You know why? Because it's been a Fox baby. Fox needed a franchise. Disney is eating them up. And at what point is somebody at Disney going, you know what we need to do? We need to take the bloody R-rated franchise that really hasn't been good since 1987, and we need to work on it. I mean, they... <laughs> they will never make another one. This is it. This is the end. And I'll say, the movie is painfully dumb. And I figure that when I walked out of the theater, I walked out and I was like, all right, I'm disappointed. I wanted to love this movie the way I love Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and The Nice Guys. And anyone who hasn't seen those, seriously, I understand that now playing pretty much focuses on franchises, but do yourself a favor. If you haven't seen those movies, you're missing out on greatness. But I came into this thinking, Shane Black, he had a misstep with Iron Man 3, but he can pull it together here. I walked out going, God, I don't know if I'm recommending it or not. I'm leaning towards no, but it wasn't a bad time. It just, it wasn't really like I hated watching it. And again, it does go down to how many films we've watched recently that I have hated watching that this seemed like a step up. But then I got in the car and I called Marjorie and I was like telling her bits about the story and I'm starting to explain that there was a good predator and a bad predator and the good predator brought a weapon but then started killing people. She's like asking me all these questions like, well, why? Why? And finally, within three minutes of the conversation, I go, this movie's dumb as hell. When I really had to take this movie and explain it to somebody else who hadn't seen it, it became immediately indefensible. Just totally. And it was even worse on a second viewing. I had... this closed captioning thing in front of me and yet I almost fell asleep. I came within a hair's breadth of falling asleep. So no, it's not a strong not recommend. There's some fun in here, mostly with the loonies. You guys complain about the loonies. I say jettison the main characters. If I were rewriting this, I'd make the loonies the movie and put some Predator in it. Oh, I said that! No, I said jettison the Predator and just tell a story about the VA. That's what you want to do. No, I want to have loonies versus Predator. No. <laughs> Arnie, what I said was, if you're going to have the movie start with this family, then tell the story about the family. Don't transition to a whole different set of characters that make the movie about them midway through. But I had the same problem you guys had, is that 
when I was watching the movie, I was okay. And I was enjoying a lot of it. I was enjoying some of the jokes. I started turning on the movie here and there. But as I was watching it, and I was more and more annoyed about how there's a data dump here and there, and how the characters that I thought were the movie was about, it wasn't about them, how I didn't really know anybody's names because it wasn't clear, how characters' personalities switched from one thing to the next, and then it was just strange, and dogs, and the more you think about it, the worse it gets. So the funny thing about this is sometimes I'm very forgiving about a movie if I'm having a good time, and for the most part, I was having a good time, but there's a moment in this movie where the movie just really starts to fall under its own weight. And that last act, I was saying to myself, thank God they're getting back to a forest and getting back to the jungle, and I'm enjoying Predator action, but at the same time, it made it also apparent that I am so tired of Hollywood making those remake sequels, you know, like Jurassic World and The Force Awakens, where it's basically the same movie again, but it's technically a sequel. But this time, I'm like, boy, they really could have done that here, and I think we all would have wanted that now. We all would have wanted another Predator in the Jungle kind of movie, maybe combination of the last movie with a whole bunch of people on a different planet with a whole bunch of Predators, something like that, but basically remaking the first movie, acknowledging the other movie had taken place, and maybe get something closer to what we think is a Predator movie like we talked about in the last episode of this retrospective series. The more I thought about this movie as I was watching it, and the more on the way home I was thinking about what I was going to do here, I did not have a terrible time watching it, but I can't recommend it. I can't. I'm going to have to go with you two and say it's a weak not recommend only because I did have somewhat of a good time watching it, but the more I think about it, the more the movie leaves a more bad taste in my mouth. It's an unfortunate misstep. I was hoping that there was going to be something here that I could, during the conversation now, to push me over the top to say, yes, I can give it a mild recommend, but I I can't. So three red arrows for The Predator. What really struck me about this is how much of an Alien versus Predator Requiem movie this felt like. With too many people in a suburban town, running around, hiding in a school, and it's a ballsy choice to do the things that Aliens vs. Predator Requiem did, and to say, but we're not going to do it in a sucky manner. This is clearly better than Aliens vs. Predator Requiem, but no, it just it's not good enough to not have those comparisons drawn. The saddest thing to me is this is the third best Predator film, I think. <laughs> I mean, it goes... Predator, Predators, those are the only recommends, then The Predator, then probably AVP, then Predator 2, and then AVPR. Well, I actually recommended AVP. Yeah, I remember someone did. I saw the Green Arrow. I was me. Okay. It's on recording. I can't, like, not cop to it. It's, <laughs> you can hear it in our archive section at nowplayingpodcast.com. I like that movie because, as I just said, like, I can forgive a movie of having a good time with it and listen to the podcast. I would have a different order than you, Arnie. I, I mean, I, again, I just stop with the first one. There really is no successful <laughs> follow-up at all. You can enjoy certain things about it. Yeah, maybe this one had some jokes you laughed at or maybe you like taking it to futuristic L.A. in part two. There could be elements of all of them that you could cite and say, oh, that was good, except for Alien Requiem. That, that, that one, there's actually absolutely nothing redeemable about it. But they're not trying very hard to make a good movie again. And it just it's unfortunate that the pieces can't come together. One and then forget it. I'm going to forget this. It's very easily forgotten. And that is a shame because I really was looking forward to the Predator here. It was one I was looking forward to this fall. But I'm also 
also looking forward to the next time we're going to be talking to Brock. Oh, thank you. That's so sweet. It's not going to be all that long before you're back on the main feed just in a little over a month for Halloween. Yes, I'm looking forward to this one. I saw the trailer for this before The Predator. I'm liking what I'm seeing. So hopefully we got another good Halloween movie. It's been a while since that happened. Yeah, they got something right with it that Predator didn't was they knew they needed to bring them both back. It wouldn't be enough in this day and age to just bring Michael Myers. You got to have James. Jamie Lee Curtis, which is why we're also doing part of Platinum Level. If you like our Halloween shows, we're taking a look at why she was the screen queen of 1980 in three different movies. She was in three horror movies in 1980, The Fog, Prom Night, Terror Train. Brock, you're going to join us for all three of those shows as well. Yeah, I said yes to that. And I got to tell you why. Because I know Jamie Lee Curtis from all these different things, but I did not know her reputation as a screen queen when you brought this idea up. I'm like, that's a really good idea to tie it into this Halloween series. Bring it on. I don't know anything about those three movies besides Jamie Lee Curtis in them, and I am looking forward to it immensely, and you can all hear me, Stuart, and Arnie talk about that as part of our Platinum series in our fall donation drive. Yeah, and for those who don't know, our donation drive is going on now. Our fall donation drive, our first show, came out last Friday. The horror classic that, Stuart, you said on the show that is probably more considered a foreign film than an American film even though it was made with American studio money and it's in English, Suspiria. Yeah, it's a trilogy of witch films that has quite a reputation in Europe, as does its maker, Dario Argento. We're covering all three of those films. This Friday, we get to the second chapter, Inferno, about a second witch. The first one, Suspiriorum, she's in Germany. This one will be in New York with lots of rats and cats. And then starting after all of this horror stuff, we will will have a really long gold level as we do all of M. Night Shyamalan's horror and thriller films, starting with The Sixth Sense and ending in January with his version of The Avengers, I guess, when we get to Glass. (laughs) What a comparison. (laughs) I mean, I guess he combines the universe of Unbreakable with Split and building up to a new movie that, I'll put it this way, I never miss one of his films but it's not necessarily because I'm a fan. I have grown to appreciate his missteps maybe even more than his successes, and there will be brown arrows, if not scarlet red arrows, when we go through his filmography, but I am looking forward to revisiting it because, man, some of those films are just, you can't believe an adult made them. I just really am looking forward to the twist at the end of Glass, which I'm just praying is Marky Mark and Mel Gibson and Jaden Smith all show up and all of his films are in the Shyamalanaverse. <laughs> Maybe it will be that way, but I hope you can join us for our whole retrospective. It's Silver Level again. It's Suspiria Trilogy, Three Mothers, plus the new remake of Suspiria, and we're throwing Phenomena in there too, a Dario Argento film with Donald Pleasance and Jennifer Connelly from the 80s. And then Gold Level will be 11 M. Night Shyamalan movies, Sixth Sense, all the way to Glass, and then in October, timed around the release of the new Halloween Brock, Arnie, and I will be going through 1980s Jamie Lee Curtis horror movies. Again, The Fog, Prom Night, Terror Train. That sounds great. And I know one thing we're not going to be doing for quite some time is probably coming back to the Predator series. So I think this is probably it. But you know what? Those could be famous last words. Arnie, you never know. Maybe Mickey Mouse on one of his not-so-scary Halloween parties in the Walt Disney World in a couple years will bring out the Predator and they'll march down Main Street USA and decide, you know what? 
we do need another Predator movie. If they have that whole streaming service they're coming out with, maybe they'll put a direct Disney After Dark thing and have a new Predator movie on there. You just never know. I never say never. I mean, I've learned that they can make a sequel to anything. They made a sequel to House of the Dead. And that's what we're covering next week. we got the House of the Dead series. <laughs> We've been covering those great video game to movie adaptations I've enjoyed so much. And we finally <laughs> reached the apex of that creative inspiration with Uva Bowl's House of the Dead. Arnie, don't cry. I'm so close. Oh, my God. Can, it's like <laughs> this movie we reviewed, The Predator, does not deserve a green arrow. Then you mentioned House of the Dead. I'm like, can I watch The Predator again instead? Yes. <laughs> There's always something worse. And next week we reach it, I think. <laughs> <laughs> we actually find it. And its sequel the week after that. So again, House of the Dead 2, Predator 5, it could all happen. I believe it. I'm so glad I'm not in that series with you guys. But you know what? I'm enjoying listening to them. Sometimes it takes some really bad movies to have some really great episodes right guys I, that's what they tell me is that they love to hear me scream well house of the dead i'll be screaming well thank you both for joining me today i had a lot of fun talking to the predator with you too i will talk to you in a few weeks as we just discussed uh, that's it for us we ain't got time to bleed Thank you for joining us for this episode in the Predator Retrospective Series. This stuff will make you a goddamn sexual tyrannosaurus, just like me. Please come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for a new movie review. Come on in, you fuckers. Come on in. Also at NowPlayingPodcast.com, you can download our podcast where we cover such series as Terminator, Rambo, Robocop, the Avengers, Alien, Death Wish, Die Hard, and hundreds more. This is getting better than a minute. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with, and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by any entity that created the film analyzed herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. I don't think he gives a shit. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of and may not be used without the express written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. Now Playing Podcast's Predator Retrospective Series is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2018, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. I ain't got time to bleed. The Now Playing Predator Series is edited by Arnie. I wouldn't wish that on a broke dick dog. Just a quick note, Arnie. There are three kids in *Lethal Weapon*, but I think your point is valid. Yeah, they're. Not, I they're mean, not the main they're characters. not. They're not focused on. They're, yeah. they're background. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just want to make sure. You, well, Rianne is, but she's still a teenager. But I get your yeah. point. Yeah. Right. Fine. Just want to make sure that you're going to get some letters on that one. Just to let you know. <laughs> well, that blooper will now ward them off. <laughs> <laughs> letters at that, like handwritten. <laughs> I gotta go to the P.O. box for the first time in like a year. Look at the sentence structure of this horrible review. Thank you. (laughs) 
what you're saying, the comparison of, uh, you, you said Simon and Garfunkel? Who did you say? You said... Uh, uh, Eddie Murphy and Arsenio, not Simon and Garfunkel. Well, there you go. So Eddie Murphy and, and Eddie Murphy himself could be the Shane Black in this scenario in that Eddie Murphy's later career is not the same thing. <laughs> you yeah. didn't... Li- I, I don't... I, I disagree with your Michael Jackson predator... Uh, Michael Jackson predator. Michael Jackson thriller <laughs> He, he was a predator. <laughs> The predator planet is getting in is becoming inhabitable for them is becoming inhabitable for them <laughs> inhabitable uninhabitable. <laughs> you know, if you already have Yvonne Shavosky on speed dial or whatever, I'm sorry, bad. <laughs> I'm in 87 all of a sudden with speed dial. You can all hear me and Brock. I'm Brock. You, you are Brock. Hear, <laughs> yes. You can and you can hear me. But I don't know how close that is to a city where you can find a cantina and have like a scene from Three Amigos where you flash a gun and make everybody leave. I'm sorry. I'm picturing your friend starting bringing my little buttercup now. You son of a bitch. Why did you bring up Three Amigos? I could probably get him to do it for a for, for the show. Go on. Sorry. My little buttercup has the sweetest smile. Dear little buttercup, won't you stay a while? Come with me where moonbeams paint the sky. And you and I might linger in the sweet by and by. Oh, dear little buttercup, with your eyes so blue. Oh, little buttercup, you're a dream come true. You and I will settle down in a cottage built for two. Little buttercup, I love you, and I love now playing 